I think Colin mentioned this the other night, but I haven't seen it. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have people decided that they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that's yeah. had a massive issue on productivity. <laughs> you know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, tradies. they have been paid a, paid a lot <laughs> to do work too much in the last few years. And we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50 percent. He's talking about the 1960s. We need to Whoa. see pain in the economy. We need to remind people <laughs> that they work for the employer, not the other way around. There's been right. a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude, and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do, the governments around the world are trying to increase <laughs> Saying the quiet part out loud. That, mm -hmm. This guy's got his finger on the fucking normality. pulse, man. And we're seeing it. I think every <laughs> listening to us. is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market and that has to continue. Less arrogance in the employment market. <laughs> <laughs> got to bring the pain. Uh, bring so, the pain, 40 baby. to 50% employment. Unemployment. Unemployment. I mean, that's, that's like that's that's the problem with this. Is like he's completely dead on about like what the point of like Fed policy over the last you know two years has been. Like you know what all the tech layoffs were. What like the attitude that is really behind the nobody, no one wants to work anymore. Shit is is about this. Like, and he's saying it just more very clearly. And it's about labor discipline. It's about making people feel desperate so that they show up for any amount of money and bust their ass like and never complain but like when he says what we need to achieve that is 40 to 50 percent unemployment that i'm sorry that puts him in like in an insane like outlier category which is unfortunate because like most of the world's capital class doesn't believe that like well i'm, I'm well, sorry they believe every single other thing he said but the one like didn't thing that he put a number to is fucking insane well, let's uh, let's introduce our guy here for those who maybe didn't see this video that was making the rounds. So this is CEO Tim Gurner, who is essentially a guy who speculates in property, right? He's, just so, a, real, he's a real estate. Uh, sounds like real Australian real estate shithead, which again is, yeah. is like <laughs> means he's a clown. He, like he's a rich, he's, like asshole speculator clown. Like he's also the guy who wrote the original article and popularized the avocado toast meme. Whoa! Um, oh, whoa! No that fucking guy? way! Yeah. Yep. So, and he's speaking at a property summit, which is a collection of property owners, read you know, private equity firms, <laughs> discussing the sort of coming. Uh, I, I think the the main purpose of this was to talk about the collapse in commercial real estate or the problems within commercial real estate. But they largely got talking about the economy as a whole. And yeah, Greg, I think he's sort of exaggerating because he's talking off the cuff. But man, no, people are like, this guy's a crazy person. It's like, no, nobody has their finger more on what's actually happening. Than no, this he's guy been has. listening to our podcast. <laughs> he's been listening to our podcast and analysis and was like, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, I <laughs> like, mean, he's, he's whether listening. Yeah, he's been listening and said like yeah that's cool right like mm -hmm. that doesn't mean yeah. that the analysis is wrong <laughs> he's or he's been listening to what we've been listening to he's just been listening to powell and reading the wall street journal the financial times and yeah, he's yeah. just you know the little bits where they say <laughs> that where they press. say like well this is why you need you know like inflation has been what it is this is what the problems are this is what we need to cool off the this labor market powell has hot right now telling you know? yeah yeah and, you know, there's the sort of old saying that, like, all capitalists are Marxists just with the values reversed, right? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I, I think that you see that right here. And I, I think this is how, like, rich people think about the world and think about the economy. I mean, it was interesting. This came out and made this big splash the same week that the Washington Post had an article that this last year saw the largest growth or jump in poverty in the United States in, like, 50 years, you know? Yeah. Um, the plan's working. I mean... I, I this ties into a lot of things we've talked about, like the people making fun of Will Stansel for just getting mad that, you know, people say the economy is bad. Why do they say it's bad when it's obviously good? And it's like, uh, maybe because it is bad for most people. This is the thing. It's like you don't like get getting to 40 percent unemployment would be a massive failure on the part of like the capital state. Right. 
the thing is you can do all the things he's talking about. You can massively discipline labor. You can make them desperate for work, take any job for any amount of money and destroy their lives and their minds and their bodies. Like, uh, jumping to every word of the boss, like without doing that, you know, like you, you don't have to have that much social chaos and, and economic breakdown. And they're doing a great job at it. I mean, that's, you want to talk about Bidenomics, man, like they're doing an excellent job of keeping the, the edifice together while shooting a machine gun at the feet of labor and making them dance, you know, making us all dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it, it, you know, look, I mean, the, the revulsion at Trump might be enough that Biden gets reelected in 2024. And it's like the first president since, I guess, Reagan to get reelected after making everybody's lives significantly worse, <laughs> um, you know, to that degree. But uh, and I, but to, to be clear, I don't think this has anything to do with Biden or Trump or anything like that. I mean, this is capitalism responding to a crisis, right, which was COVID, which killed, where they killed huge portions of their own workforce and that gave that labor power to negotiate and they're trying to take that power away again. They don't want a replay of, you know, uh, the Black Plague or something where they had to institute all these laws to force workers to work for extreme minimum wages and things like that. Yeah. yeah, it's just interesting to see a, you know, a cohesive class talk to each other, you know, like, I yeah. don't know, it's, it's <laughs> something weirdly almost inspiring about like hearing that in a way, <laughs> like, how yeah. all agreement, you know, you know like, all, the, all, the, all the agreement, everyone's on the same page, you know, um, despite maybe like minor differences here and there, they are a cohesive class who understand what they have to do in order to keep their interests in power. Right. Yeah. And that that frankly is what they need to do. Well, in, Even emphas- when they, in real estate. Right. Because I think that some some critiques were like, well, he's a real estate guy. Like, why would he care? He doesn't run a business and employ like, mm-hmm. you know, people, uh, you know, real estate. Need, like real estate is actually like if you talk about the hierarchy, like real estate and just capital in general, like that class is the one that is above even like, you know, C-suite executives at, you know, companies. Right. They're, they're the ones who, you know. Real estate capital in general is the one that actually does dictate the economy and depends on, you know, all the other corporations to be bringing people back into the office so that they can, you know, make commercial real estate rents, right? Like, you know, the, the it, part of not being able to negotiate and having labor be weaker is that they'll be forced to go back into the office instead of, you know, being uh, working from home in, in situations where uh, jobs are able to provide that, right? Um you know, it's part of it. Um, overall labor discipline in general, even if they don't maybe, you know, employ a lot of minimum wage workers, uh, you know, uh, it's important for capital. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, to your point about like, it's nice to see a class that has some sort of cohesiveness and plan, uh, you know, talking with my coworkers as we're in sort of tough negotiations and tough times over at the college, you know, even though we're in a union, even though we should have some sort of embedded class consciousness, or you think we would, uh, you know, our conversations are still, doesn't the administration understand that this isn't good for student learning objectives? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they don't give a shit about any of that, right? Because every meeting is me just trying to explain to them, they don't care about that. They don't They don't care that this makes education worse. Like, that's just we, not the point. It just feels like we're so far behind, man, when, like, yeah. that, that's where we're starting out versus, you know, the capital class very clearly. Are they talking about, like, action? They're talking about mm-hmm. how we get to this agreed-upon place. Yeah. We already agreed upon this place. How do we get there, right? <laughs> like, well, I don't know if you saw that thing. There was a little bit of an uproar maybe last night or whatever about Jesse Pinkman, or I think it was like a war in person. It was like uh, people demanding 40 hours pay for 32 hours work. That's a that's a losing strategy. Nobody should do that or whatever. And all these people kind of yelling back at them. But some of the people yelling back at them were like, well, d- you know, don't people understand that workers are more productive when they only work 32 hours versus 40? And it's like, that's a lo- that is the losing argument right there. <laughs> that's the <laughs> argument that that this is this is that story is sourced by Microsoft. Microsoft Japan, um, you know, did this and championed the four day work week because it was productive. This is what mm-hmm. capital like th- this is the capitalist argument for a four-day work week right yeah and i think that this consistent pandering to capital to basically convince them that it's in their interest for like some you know labor rights thing 
is obviously a losing strategy, right? Like basically saying, hey, you know, you, you guys should, there should be no resistance to this because this actually is in your guys' interest too. We uh, produce yeah. more. They'll be fucking you in some other way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. It's like, okay, so <laughs> like if you don't actually have the power to like, you know, enforce that, that is going to, capitalism is going to manifest that and yeah. uh, swallow that, digest it and shit that out the other end into into a horror that you don't even see coming, right? Like, well, so mm-hmm. when you talk about the importance of framing, when you frame it as the important thing is increasing productivity, therefore <laughs> increasing profits for the corporation, then the thing that's going to get lost in that negotiation is the extra pay, right? Which is why the framing is bad. The framing should strictly be about the extra pay. Like, yeah. no, workers deserve more money and should get paid more. And it doesn't matter if that cuts into capitalist profits. Like, they have enough, they can do with less. <laughs> like, in fact, until the capitalist profits go into the tank, workers' wages should just keep going up and up and up, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, lo- loser argument. Now, uh, that being said, I mean, th- this is the world we live in. I mean, America, it's, you know, the Cold War, the capitalist one, man. I hate to say it. <laughs> Ideologically, we are defeated. Yes, in a very big way. Yeah. Brutal. Well, I look forward to CEO Tim Gurner becoming uh, president of the world and uh, implementing this strategy, uh, which is already being implemented. Let's be serious. I mean, you know, what's, you know what's crazy is that, you know, you can say the most like cartoonishly evil thing in the most like banal way. But because he has like this like, you know, Cockney like British or Australian accent I, I like can't even take it seriously and that's how you know <laughs> that that empire has declined when you hear just such an evil thing said and I'm just like lay, lay funny accent <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Freak Cast. Freaking in the morning, freaking in the evening, freaking in Seattle, freaking in New York. We're all back. Munya, you're back from your journey. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't. No submarines blew up this time while you're off mic, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you're journeying and doing. Uh, but. Yeah, you know, I was just, you know, testing out the canals and, you know, came back to Seattle for a bit. Had some good... Uh, good barbecue both at your place and at mine you know it was like a good a mm-hmm. uh, good food week for us you know it's good to catch up with y'all mm-hmm. yeah it's good to see you always yeah, nice when munia's in town good yeah. barbecue food <laughs> at the munia household yeah man oh i'm still i you know i really messed up by not just taking all the leftovers home on the plane with me <laughs> well let's be honest about what really happened here too munia which is I contacted you and said, because Bryn's working, we're going to be a little bit late. You know, is it okay? Will there still be food or should I just get food before we go? And you said, eat before you come over. And then I get over there and there's just mountains of delicious food that I'm looking at right after I just ate whatever bullshit I just ate. You are misleading our listeners, Brian. <laughs> wow, that is technically true, what you just well, that's said. that's true in, in the sense that every word I said is exactly what happened. No, it's what you didn't say. It's the context, Brian. <laughs> last time I told you to not eat because last time in June you came over and, and it was like two hours late. And I was like, no, nah, dude, there's going to be so much food. Come over. It'll be fine. Right. And then you come <laughs> over and it's like a desert in there. Like all the food's completely gone. I'm We're like kind of like <laughs> scrapping for food. And I'm like, OK, you know what? That was a learning experience for me. Right. And you say, you're gonna, you know, like I don't want that. That literally happens if we had to order pizza because it, it, because like you and other people came through late. We didn't have enough food like that sucked. I didn't want that to happen again. What if I just told you and now you're just hungry while everyone's just like stuffed? Like, and that's like now just a recurring theme, you know? <laughs> so context is important, folks. Yes, I did say to eat before a huge barbecue, even though he was only like an hour late. Yes, I did say that. However, it happened before and it wasn't cool of me to like mislead my friend like that. So, so you're wrong both times. Yeah. (laughs) What I'm saying is that I'm literally airballing, shooting over to. I'm like, (laughs) the food was so good. I can pass like Brian to just like stuff himself because like it was so fun. Just stuff. Well, you did. You did eat the food. Yeah, I did. Look, 
I can always find room. All right. You know, <laughs> I even took some home and then just ate it the next morning. So uh, th- there's always room. There's always what I call a win win, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Moon, yeah, he came back in town and he left at just the right time because uh, let's just say SPD is edited again in our fair oh, city. And this time they even were able to pull a response from, you know, my favorite writer at the Seattle Times, Danny Westnut. He wrote this article. I think we want to read a little bit to you guys titled Feel Safer Yet. Seattle Police Union's Contempt Keeps Showing Through. And I got to say, that title alone from Westney almost knocked me over. I mean, this is one of the 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 great defenders of the Seattle Police Department and 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 funny enough we're going to see that he he really still is but like he wants to I I'm interested to hear like what what like has made him uh and the Seattle Times decide that they need to like uh put some distance in here yeah between them and I mean, like, get some daylight between them and uh Spog for once and, and to remind listeners, I mean, we've read a lot of Westneat articles on this, but I, our introduction to Danny Westy was a story about how he heard from somebody third hand that their bike had been stolen via Craigslist or some shit. And Westneat was ready to don the mask and the cape and become a nighttime crusader for justice and stolen bikes in order to help out SPD. Because, you know, he's like, look, our boys in blue need help. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was our starting point with Danny. And here we he's are. He's a real today. life superhero. Exactly. All right. So the article. Feels safer yet? The cops union started writing over screenshots of stories about shootings or stabbings in Seattle. This year, the message has gotten blunter. In May, the union tweeted a photo of a badge with the words, I quit, written over it, if only. In July, they held a, quote, sick out, they say, in which about 40 out of 80 patrol officers simply didn't show up to answer 911 calls on a busy Saturday night. The communities we serve and protect weren't protected, the Guild president Mike Solon shrugged on his podcast. Because we That's didn't the- because we didn't protect them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the reality of the situation. It's a recipe for disaster. Why do I feel like we're being threatened here? Be a shame if something happened to this delicate city of yours. I mean, yeah, so far, so far, (laughs) let him cook like he's he's identifying the the insane reality of the power of police unions as a political force and the like the total impunity with which they um, do, they go on strike uh, all, all the time uh, as a, you know, when there should be, you know, supposedly doing something about public safety and then use that as a threat. Like this is, yeah, I mean, this happening, this is nothing new. Like he's talking about this as this, like this, this new thing that started last year, but you know, he's identifying the dynamic here. Yeah, and uh, to Wesley's point, I mean, part of what probably got, you know, his uh, hackles up a little here is Spog has been on a tear in the last several weeks of posting uh, Twitter posts like this, right? So this is from last week. And they were getting a lot of mileage out of, like, CCTV camera of a guy getting robbed, right, by two masked gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, here Spog says... The quote-unquote defunding snake. By the way, I like that they put defunding in quotes. It, you know, basically saying what everybody knows, which is this is all made up, right? But yeah. you know, little little flub yeah. on Spog's part. Need to take an English class. The quote-unquote defunding snake has started to eat its own tail and is marginalizing the very people it was intending to protect. Due to low staffing numbers, this poor man has not been contacted by an SPD detective since his attack two weeks ago. Uh, Instead, I'm tweeting about him. Exactly, right? And as was pointed out by our friend at Divest SPD, uh, the robbery unit has the exact same number of detectives that it had in 2020. Uh, They haven't lost any detectives, so why haven't they gone to do this? Rising crime, like relative to the massive spike in crime. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which even Westnut was helpful enough to point out uh, what earlier this year is actually going down. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's been a a, a sort of increase in this kind of, I mean, I don't know how you describe it other than 
extortion tweets from Spog, <laughs> essentially say like, if you want us to do anything about this crime, uh, time to open the pocketbook, everybody. All right, so back to Westnut here. Now, regular readers know I was no fan of the drive to defund the police three years ago. Notice I was especially yeah. Notice the again the verbiage here. You know, another like English lesson. This is more deliberate. Where the where where Spog was like, you know, in that tweet you read was misusing the quotation marks. Westney, <laughs> consummate writer here, is doing exactly what he wants to do when he says the drive to defund. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're not going to catch me by pointing out that it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was especially boneheaded as attempted here in Seattle. Performative, haphazard, and backwards. Threatening to slash cops first without any plan for what might take their place. Uh, by the so way, you'll a notice performative what... drive that threaten to slash cops <laughs> budget. Yeah. Okay, so so nothing happened. You you motherfucker. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I like that he's he's so upset about the performative nature that it had no like overarching plan. It's like, well, you're a guy at a major newspaper in the city. Maybe you could have offered something, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it, yeah, totally. But also, like he's, anybody, he's setting this up as like. Yeah. Oh, I I was no fan of this thing, and he, as if like it's a thing that happened, and of course we know it didn't. But like he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna thread this needle, like pretend letting like his readers like wash over that, still believing, like because they hear it online, and then it's implicitly reinforced in this way in the Times, like there was the, that they lost any fucking money, you know, and yeah, he, it's so fucking dishonest. It's true today that Seattle desperately needs more police, as well as other public safety crews like health and social workers. So I'm at least a little sympathetic to the cops u- cop union's main talking point. So, I, so I here, we, here we get a little more mm, than sympathetic. But yeah. yeah, well, so he's one of the great defenders of Spog. And like, we're going to find that like as as incredible as that headline is, like he's really only trying to find like a sliver of daylight here. That mm-hmm. in this situation that we'll get to why but like he's basically yeah he's basically backing them up on everything they need more cops that defunding shit was something that happened in the past totally fraudulent but at this point it's the guild that's emerged as the bu- biggest political impediment to getting anything done on this issue bigger even than the dysfunctional city council wow the seattle city council is not like the number one <laughs> target right now (laughs) i mean this is interesting you know like i'm not gonna put my foot in my mouth like i did like two years ago when and say like oh the the establishment is like getting their shit together to force solon out of the union in advance of the negotiations but like it does it again does have the sniff of like conversation that like mike solon is a major drag on the legitimacy of the city and the especially and the police as a governing institution and is going to be a major drag on the legitimacy of any contract negotiation process. Now that hasn't ended up mattering up to now because they just continue to not uh, do a new contract, not even attempt to start a negotiation for a new contract, in which case the the absolutely like appalling last contract will just probably be the, the SPD contract for for the next like 20 years. Um, but like it does have the sniff of like some, some people are still talking. I think they got like, he was too smart for them two years ago and just like never apologized and his membership likes, and we're going to get into Solon, but like it does have the sniff of like, there are people in the city who want Mike Solon gone. I think he'll probably, you know, not go anywhere, but that's what's going on here. Well, the thing about. Mike Solon is, you're right, Greg, he's this Trump-like figure that people in established positions of power don't particularly like because they find him to be too, you know, gauche or whatever, right? Uh, The thing that's different between Mike Solon and Trump is, uh, and Mike, God, I hope you're listening. That's the one compliment I'm ever going to give you. (laughs) Uh, He's not a pussy like Trump. Like, if Trump were like Mike Solon, when he got indicted, he wouldn't have shown up. Yeah. You just would have been like, yeah, tough shit do whatever you want, indict me, do whatever, write a whole book about it, guys. 
like, I'm not showing up. I'm not going to jail. Uh, you're going to have to show up with an army to get me. Like, he would have just stayed in Mar-a-Lago and basically, you know, told them to come lay siege on him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Solon, he understands that, yeah, these guys all might get mad at him and stuff like that, but they have no ability to get rid of him. And they're huge pussies. You know, like, all they could do is, yeah, all they could do is try and shame him out of office, but if he has no shame, which Mike doesn't, you know, he could he could stay there forever in perpetuity because the cops his, his membership like him. The, yeah, I was yeah. about to say is like yeah. the the lever of power to get him out is the, like the members of Spog, right? And yeah. the members of Spog elected him, and he's wildly popular with them. Yeah, in which Mike recognizes as being one of the only true points of power in the city, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, who are you going to send to get rid of Mike? <laughs> you know. <laughs> So given, you know, Danny's position as a defender of the police, you might wonder what's gotten up his crawl here to make him think that the, the Spog might be a bigger problem than the city council. And uh, here we go. The two top officials in the police union were just caught on tape with one of them laughing and joking about the death of a woman who was hit by a police car. Aha. And yes, now we get to the big story that in Seattle that's now become national news. I think this has even been uh, covered even in the Little Apple in New York City, right, Munya? There's been some oh, talk yeah. about this. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's this is yeah, this is one of these things that is in you know in just an avalanche, a tsunami of like egregious police violence that happens day to day. So much of it fits within the sort of propaganda narratives of like what police are supposed to be doing that, you know, it just, it just isn't salient um, to most people most of the time. And that is true of this incident, the, this murder of this woman, which we covered on the show. We've talked about multiple times actually. Um, Cause it is a horrifying incident. It is particularly striking how fucking stupid and pointless and meaningless and avoidable and cop brained this the death of this woman is but that's not enough in america like mm-hmm. like you know like uh uh choke holding someone to death uh, isn't really usually enough in america um yeah. but the specific video of the specific way in which george floyd was murdered the specifically inhuman details and intimacy of it was enough to to get through and this video, in combination with the facts that they're talking, you know, the incident they're discussing, is one of those rare instances where it's enough to get through. And Mike Solon got to hand it to him; he's made himself part of the story. He's uh, he's getting he's getting national play. Great for his podcast, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, and and to be clear, uh, this incident happened way back in January, and I think it was played down by the Seattle Times and not really talked at all by local news. But I do want to give credit to Justin and the people at Divest SPD who never let it go and yeah. you know, kept following up, uh, as well as Erica Barnett, who I w- want to read a little bit from her accounting of this uh, latest incident involving uh, this murder of this woman. Uh, which which we have because of, you know, because she had the journalistic instinct mm-hmm. covering this from the beginning that this was a really heinous and, and stupid and sickening murder. But even though it wasn't getting the play, she was covering it, but she had the instinct to know that she should look uh, for more for something salient and did the FOIA request and been waiting on them all this time and, and must've gone in specifically and requested in the hours after this, I want any, uh, I want any camera footage or phone calls with the union representatives, like put them in by name, you know, with the union Mm. leadership. And that's that's instinct. And that's the dogged journalistic determination. And of course, like everyone else has picked up the story, uh, you know, and without crediting her, I'm sure. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, read away. All right. So this is uh, her reporting from this week. Quote, write a check for 11,000. She was 26. She had limited value, end quote. SPD officer jokes with police union leader about killing a pedestrian by fellow cop. So the article goes, In a conversation with Mike Solon, the head of the Seattle Police Officers Guild, Seattle Police Department officer and SPOG vice president Daniel Otterer minimized the killing of 23-year-old student 
Janavi Kandula by police officer Kevin Dave, made up name, and joked <laughs> that she had, quote unquote, limited value as a, quote, regular person who is only 26 years old. In the video taken in the early morning after Dave hit Kandula in a crosswalk while speeding to respond to a call from a man who believed he had taken too much cocaine, Classic. Otter, what's up? Yeah, I mean, ridiculous. Otter says he has talked to Dave and he is, quote, good, adding that, quote, uh, it does not seem like there's a criminal investigation going on because Dave was going 50 miles per hour. That's not out of control. And because Kandula may not have even been in a crosswalk, Otter added that Dave had, quote, lights and sirens on, which video confirmed was not true. A lot so, going on here. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so we've talked about all this before, but like what, you know, the basic gist is there was and the way when it was covered in in any like little blurb, like, oh, this happened, you know, this week or whatever. It was like, oh, police officer responding to a call. Right. And like that's like technically true in a way. I think mean, that's the way the police are always going to put it. That's like the the state of being the officer was in in the computer system at that moment. But like in in a much larger way, like it's worth pointing out that that's not really true. Um, mm-hmm. He was he a guy called for an ambulance because he thought he took too much cocaine. So like, yeah, not, no need for police uh, unless they're, I guess they're going to, you know, they could bust him for the cocaine. Um, but had this officer shown up, he would have been like the seventh cruiser there, which means he in, in, a, in a big, in a larger truth, like he was not responding to a call. Like, yeah, he, he may have punched, pushed his, you know, computer monitor and said he was or said responding on a radio. But like when you're the like when you would have been the fourth, fifth, sixth or like seventh car to show up to a non to something that doesn't need an officer, you're not really responding. He was just driving fast because he could because he wanted to is what actually was going on. Now, that brings us to the conversation here. What's the first thing that's interesting is. He's otters telling he's talking to he's like, I talked to our officer. This is the the vice president of the union talking to the filling in, you know, who was there on the scene, filling in the union president, Mike Solon, going, don't worry, the murderer, uh, Dave, last name Dave, is good. Meaning he's cool. Don't worry about him. He's feeling good. He just killed that person. Uh, Doesn't seem like there's a criminal investigation going on, meaning seems like we're okay here. Uh, I, I said the words that needed to be said, and he said the words that need to be said. And uh, so far as I can tell, we don't need to really respond to this. Uh, we don't need to like circle the wagons. There's no emergency here for us because uh, l- there doesn't seem to be a criminal investigation going on for murder. So we're we're cool. Thank God. Yeah. And so Barnett here clarifies, yeah, some of these details. So, right. The idea that he had his lights and sirens on was not true. He was, in fact, doing 74 miles an hour, and it was in a 25-mile-per-hour zone, which would mean even the 50 was not exactly uh, safe, as uh, the police would like to claim. And they struck Kondula while she was attempting to cross the street in a marked and well-lit crosswalk. So here's from Otter's taped conversation. Quote, I don't think she was thrown 40 feet either. I think she went up on the hood, hit the windshield, and when he hit the brakes, she flew off the car, but she is dead. Then Otter laughed loudly at something Salon said. Quote, no, it's a regular person, yeah. So Barnett says, we've asked Spog via email what Salon had asked, uh, or asked that made Otter clarify that Kandula was a quote-unquote regular person as opposed to another type of person that Dave might have hit. Uh, no response. I think we know what he was asking. Was it a homeless person uh, or a human person? Now, police, you know, have uh, famously for decades now used the tag NHI or no human involved mm-hmm. when dealing with black people and poor people. Right. So if a black person's killed by police action or is injured by police action, they'll even write in official reports NHI, meaning no human involved. Uh this has gone on. I mean, this is first, I believe, uh, revealed during the Ramparts investigation of LAPD in the 90s. But it's a long uh, storied practice. So just yeah. remember that, you know, the police don't I, actually see you as a human being. 
I think <laughs> I think what Solon was asking was, uh, is this a was that was it a homeless person or is this going to cost some money? You know, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. he a- answers no. He's a regular person, but then that's the joke. He's downplaying, like, ah, yeah, it'll cost somebody some money. You know, it's not coming out of our well, budget or the police. You know, that's where the limited well, value what like yeah, as, idea as say, comes in. Yeah, the money conversation came up instantly right there because Otter is next saying, "Yeah, just write a check." At which point Otter then laughed for several seconds. "Quote: Yeah, eleven thousand dollars. She was twenty six anyways. She had limited value." At this point, Otter turned off his body camera and the recording stopped. So you can guess that they had a lot more fun with it once Otter realized that his body camera was on and remembered to turn it off. That's also, by the way, why we only have one side of this conversation. Uh, You can bet that Fog and SPD will never allow us to hear the other side of that conversation. That, if it does exist, has been destroyed already. Yeah, I mean, it's gone. It probably doesn't exist. Someone was probably at home, you know, like he got the call because, you know, as a union rep, not because he was on duty, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, so, uh, Barnett goes on. Joel Merkel, the co-chair of Seattle's police community, or, sorry, of Seattle's community police commission, or CPC, called the video shockingly insensitive. Quote, I was just really struck by the casual laughter and attitude. This was moments after she was killed. <laughs> you have the vice president of Spog on the telephone with the president of Spog essentially laughing and joking about the pedestrian's death and putting a dollar value on her head. That alone is just it's just inhumane. Uh, Merkel then was reportedly surprised to find out water is wet, that the sky is blue. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing that, that's that these police commissions get stacked with the most credulous morons. <laughs> I mean, that no, he's care. This is it's just like yeah. Westnut in his article. Hey, he's actually carrying water for the institution of policing, right? Of they, course, they're turning like they've been turning for years now on Mike Solon. But like mm-hmm. to say this is shocking is this was also the narrative around like again to come back to that example of like the most salient act of police murder in recent years the murder of george floyd that was the narrative around that because it was uniquely salient this piece of information this video it also it gets through it cuts through it gets to people but at the same time that makes it uh perfectly possible to present it as an outlier as something unique you know because it is it's Mm -hmm. it's it's breaking through the sort of propaganda, the crust of like media suppression of like cop violence of, you know, police stenography, but like simultaneously that makes it very easy to go like, gosh, wow, this is shocking because, you know, which implies that it's not like normal, but of course, like nothing could be more normal. Yeah. And I mean, for, you know, the CPC and groups like the OPA, basically oversight committees to say, this is shocking. One, this is what they hear about all the time when it comes to Seattle police. But also these uh, police officers in particular, the SSPD posted a long thread of Daniel Otter's interactions with review boards, including the time in 2010 when him and several other officers uh, stopped two Mexican immigrants under false pretext and then were caught on camera verbally harassing and then roughly arresting them. Uh, then... Uh, in 2017, him and a dozen officers beat a man, Brian Torgerson, uh, beat him so badly that they caused permanent brain damage. Uh, in 2016, when he handcuffed a woman and then beat her off camera, uh, some you know took her out of the view of his uh, squad car camera and beat her while handcuffed. Uh, or how about this other time when he punched and choked a homeless man inside an ER inside the ER of Harborview Hospital? Or about this other time where he arrested a woman then sexually harassed her repeatedly. Or this other time when he punched a woman in the face, right? Or this other time when he was uh, roughed somebody up, uh, arresting them off duty, right? So like, you know, this idea of putting your hands in the air and being good, I can't believe this. It's like, not only does SPD as a as a general organization do this kind of stuff all the time and have this sort of callous attitude, the individual in particular, this is as a repeat offender, right? That any oversight organization, if it actually did what they claimed it did, would be very familiar with this man, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, he like would be this, on their radar. 
Well, and and of course he's. I mean, this is the vice president president of the union we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? So like, yeah, and it makes sense. He's you know he's he's Solon's guy. They came in saying like we're not going to take any of this shit anymore, and like we're going to wipe away wipe the slate clean of all all of these infractions. You know, like like he is this guy. Of course they know who this guy is. They know he's a piece of shit. Like um, that that's it's funny that like some of those in particularly that first one, like sound like the incident that, you know, got, uh, the consent decree thrown down on SPD. And, you know, here we are talking about this, like, like it, it's, yeah, again, it shouldn't be shocking. Right. Cause like, it was not just like, it wasn't like accident. It wasn't like accidents happening that got the consent decree, like slapped down on them from the feds. It was like, specifically like you know racist comments like while you're beating the shit out of someone and like and and all this other stuff and it's like but but again like just saying like this is shocking is part of the script because like another thing we learned this like just a couple weeks ago is or yeah we can have to go is um another step has come down in the ending of the consent decree it's it's essentially uh over now uh the headline of the mm-hmm. Times. This is from the sixth. Judge ends most federal oversight of SPD after eleven years and three chiefs. And it's like I don't know what like little part is um, remaining, but like it, effectively the consent decree is kaput now. Yeah. And what did they do to have the decree removed? Like I mean, it was the oh. d- decree. You know, I mean, did they have a time limit on it? The Seattle Police Department has achieved, quote, full, sustained and lasting compliance with most provisions (laughs) of the federal settlement that was intended to transform SBD. It's I mean, it's what they've been saying all along. It's like they've been wanting to get rid of this for years now, but they keep doing shit like this that makes the. the federal judge have to go like, ah, shit. But like, they got this one under the wire. It had been like six months since like there was a salient, even local media SPD story. And they got, they were able, you know, they got the paperwork in and then this dropped, you know? So. Yeah. That's all. They've been, it's been coming for a long time. So one of the interesting things about this particular incident is that we knew about a week and a half ago, that this video was going to come out and that it was bad because Spog, uh, wanting to get ahead of this, knowing that the video had been FOIA requested and the journalists had gotten a hold of it, basically uh, went to <laughs> Jason Rance, the the guy that like, oh, you know, when we when we need to get a message out, when we need to find a, a center of power in this city. Uh, little Eddie Munster called him up, uh, gave him a you know, pre-written story for him to put his name on. And of course, he did it and put it out. Uh, so Erica Barda has the this comment here. It's one of the more interesting aspects of the story. Right-wing commentator Jason Rance attempted to pre-spin the video as an empathetic response that included a bit of quote-unquote gallows humor, saying the comment was, quote, being described as a leak of the content to media members who are hypercritical of police, end quote. Rance claimed Otter had immediately, quote, self-reported his comments by filing his own complaint with the Office of Police Accountability, or OPA. After this post went up, OPA confirmed that the initial complaint actually originated with SPD employee who saw the video, but not Otter himself. Rance also complained, or Rance also claimed the two police union officials' comments were meant to, quote, mock city lawyers, who work on cases in which police officers kill or harm civilians, which Merkel says, quote, doesn't make it any better and possibly even worse. (laughs) Because in that case, you have Spog complaining or mocking or joking about police accountability, which is really at the heart of the consent decree. I guess no need to worry about that anymore, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, the Rants thing, I don't know if you guys read the Rants article. It was kind of wild because... If you've heard the video or even just read the transcript of it, there's not a lot of room for interpretation, I got to no. say. <laughs> you know, it was it was a pretty desperate attempt, but there was still, you know, an army of like blue checks commenting on it, you know, saluting Spog and basically be like, "Thank you for this explanation, sir." 
<laughs> Incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean, the idea that they're like, oh, isn't it awful that the the process of uh, police accountability and like civil settlements for wrongful deaths is going to really devalue this young woman's life, you know? Oh, uh, what a world we live in. Like, uh, fucking absurd. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, but that tells you how how... I mean, that tells you, like, that's the closest, that's the closest Mike Solon is ever going to come to, like, anything, like, backing down or apologizing, you know? Like, meaning he's not going to do that, but this was enough that he's like, well, let's throw some spin out there, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. usually yeah. they don't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, too, we talk about how one of the things we have to understand about police officers is they are pretty disconnected from reality. They do live in their kind of own planet. Now, that being said, they still understand that uh, the political power that they have as a group. But I do think it's interesting that he's like, look, we got to control this narrative. Who do we go to? And they went to little Eddie Munster. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it's like, let's get our troops in line or something. But I even wonder how much reach Jason Rance has anymore at this point. But just no, an interesting I, choice I, all around. No, it's, but it, what, what it serves is it's a place where they can go for the friendly interview right the the friendly mm-hmm. uh questions the softballs that get the message out that then gets quoted gets to be quoted in all of the other stories so like it, that stuff is mentioned in all of the reporting right mm-hmm. and it basically comes from that uh you know yeah. on a local uh radio program on whatever it is uh cairo whatever uh the union president who was on the recording uh, suggested that this was actually about, you know, uh, the devaluing of human life by lawyers, blah, blah, blah. And that gets to mm. that. That gives it gives them a buffer from like, you know, of that friendly interview. But it gives the rest of the entire like media that like uh, propaganda ammunition to use to just like drop in there. And they have, you know. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I like that Mike Sullen's like a, a comedian in the 1990s too. Like that's that's what he's pitching. Like he's just like, yeah, we're just talking about lawyers. You know what? What do you call a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> a good start. It's like, oh, thanks, Bill Maher, circa 1994. <laughs> <Right>? Like, <laughs> you know, again, just a, a little insight into the weird world of like the police brain. Um, all right, so back well, to Barnett. Like, you you got to come up with something. Like, what? I mean, yeah. that's the thing is like. <laughs> and the, and the problem is, it's pretty on its face obvious what was happening in the conversation. So, I mean, I guess congrats on the reach of finding yeah, you, something to reach for. Honestly, like, like, <laughs> haha, she really had no value. Yeah. Uh, like, the woman we just killed. Oh, and thank God there's no criminal investigation because of all these lies I'm already spinning up. Mm-hmm. You know, because of all these things I told the murderer to tell to the other cops uh when they showed up when i talked to him first i went through um throw throw water on the idea that she was in the crosswalk mention specifically that you had your lights and sirens on uh mention that you were doing 50 because you told me you were like gosh i don't know 70 80 mention to the cop to the other officers when they show up say 50 miles an hour very confidently and then i'll keep repeating that and then that will at least delay anybody finding out about you know, mm-hmm. what the truth is if they ever do, you know, that's, that's the function of these guys. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's worth noting that Otterer was the one on the scene who, uh, investigated Kevin Dave again, made up name, um, or Dave Kevin or whatever it was, but investigated him to see if he was, you know, drunk or high or whatever. Uh, oh, perfect. you know, it, it gave him a, a clean bill of health, <laughs> you know? So, just incredible the whole way down. So I mean, I believe it. I believe he wasn't on anything. Like I, I we'll think what he was know. on was being a cop. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he know. was on cop brain. Like he was yeah. like, ooh, I've been sitting here bored. It's whatever, you know, five in the morning, and there's a call happening. So I get to say responding and just put pedal to the metal. This is like this is yeah, this is what I do with my life. And yeah. But maybe I, he want you know, and then and or maybe he's like, man, it would be cool to hit a pedestrian crosswalk this morning. Like who and for a, for a cop to to just have that thought one day, like does not require narcotics, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I think though it does go to show again the sort of 
the world uh, that we live in as far as policing goes, stuff like that, that essentially Kevin Dave was just given a thumbs up by his buddy, Daniel. And that was all that was required to say, oh, yeah, he's fine. No problem. I mean, he was doing 75 and a 25 downtown. But uh, nothing wrong. Nothing going on here. Right. You have to really try to do that, by the way. I know. Right. Like 75 in a 20. Like that's like fast for even the freeway. Yeah. For like one listener who doesn't live in the Seattle area, um, you cannot drive 75. Like getting to 75 downtown is already an accomplishment. And then like, yeah, it's insane. It's wildly dangerous and insane. Um, But interestingly, the police demanded that the medical examiner, of course, do full toxicology on the woman they murdered, right? In an effort to try and find something to, you know, some sort of smoke to throw, some sort of mud to sling. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, it came out negative. So, you know, I guess that's why it's not a story that they did this, you know, pretty disgusting. Well, they didn't drug drug test um, Kevin, so, you know. That's what I mean. It's like that that difference right there is Kevin, all he needs is a thumbs up from the vice president of Spog and no more questions. Nothing. Everything's fine. But this woman who is literally just trying to walk across the fucking crosswalk one day and got fucking mowed down by a psycho, uh, make sure you drug test the shit out of her because if, you know, if there's a a single ounce of fucking marijuana or blood or something like that. That's going to be the reason why this happened. You know? Yeah. Um, just fascinating. All right. Back to Barnett. SPD did not respond to a request for comment. Shocking. Half an hour after this post went up, the department posted the video on its website along with a statement. According to the post, an SPD employee, quote, identified the video in the routine course of business and alerted their supervisor when the video made its way to Police Chief Adrian Diaz's office, the post says. His office sent it to the Office of Police Accountability for investigation. Quote, as others in the accountability system proceed with their work, we again extend our deepest sympathy for this tragic collision. This tragic collision. Tragic collision. (laughs) You fucking mowed a woman down with your cards, like, you know, like, but you I mean, know. like, if you're driving pointlessly 75 miles an hour in downtown surface streets, like you're basically intending to kill someone. Yeah. Like, like, if yeah. you're like a, a, a regular human being. Like you would understand like that, that is wildly unsafe. Like you are going to hurt someone or yourself at least. Right. Like that's just wildly, insanely unsafe. Most other human beings would have to be on some kind of narcotics to do that or like be stupid teenagers, you know, to not have that level of judgment. But that's what we're talking about when you're talking about like these cops live in their own fucking world Mm -hmm. where it's like, like the, that you could make that choice and like think it's normal. And like he even says on the video, like, you know, because he coached him to say you were, I was going 50. Um, he's like, and that's not, so that's fine. Cause that's not out of control, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right. like, so they're saying like, yeah, going 50 on the downtown streets. Well, that's not by our, by our arbitration. That's not out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, at this point, uh, uh, Barnett goes into a multi-paragraph breakdown of Daniel Otter's uh, past and the many, 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 as she says, in the 12 years he's been on the force, dozens of allegations uh, leveled against him. But there was two here at the end that are actually new to me. I think, even though they're not the worst thing that he did, I think say a lot about who he is and who cops are that I thought were interesting to read. So, uh In another case, which was sustained, Otterer appeared to mock a woman who said she was developmentally disabled and had cognitive challenges that made it difficult for her to remember specific instructions during a DUI test. He then accused her of lying about being a veterinary nurse, suggesting she wasn't capable of holding such a complicated job. Quote, I know you usually get a reaction out of people, but you're not going to get a reaction out of me, Otterer told the woman who appeared to be responding calmly and reasonably. He then informed another officer that she was 220, code for mentally ill, in her presence and said, quote, you also need to go see your mental health professional, and I think you know that. 
Several other complaints against Otter involved what appeared to be overzealous investigations of driving under the influence, such as a case in which he, quote, effectuated an arrest by another officer of a dead sober man who briefly swerved his car because he was eating a hot dog. Quote, I very much empathize with the subject who suffered through a Kafka-esque experience, the OPA investigator wrote. Well, that's <laughs> it's but, the and, office of sympathy, you know? Yeah, uh, but then proceeded to do nothing to, uh, of course, sanction Otter for having done this. Now, again, this is the least of what he's done. I mean, beating women is like this guy's jam. Like, <laughs> that's just what he does. If this guy ain't beating women, he's just having fun laughing about women getting killed. Uh, so not shocking that <laughs> this is all a big joke to him. Cops love beating women, and yeah, Daniel's no different. Um, hey, R.I.P. to Daniel's wife if he's got one. That must be a fucking rough line of work over there. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I guess she's keeping her doctor fucking in business, but Jesus. Uh, but yeah, like, th- I think the stuff here of like talking to this woman and then yelling at her and basically just telling, oh, she's mentally ill, you know, basically tell her she's it, it's this. This is what police think of the public, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, this is just a perfect explanation of who this guy is fundamentally at his core, right? And what the job of policing built inside of him and allows him to put out towards the world, right? Gives him the confidence to put out towards the world. And, you know, uh, what will happen happen to this guy because of this tape? I mean, let's be serious. Nothing. You know, yeah. well, and if you're wondering, like, how does a guy with this kind of record, yeah. like, maintain not just a job, not just a job at SPD, but like through the years of the consent decree, but like maintain a position of power in the city as vice president of the union? And, you know, if you're thinking like that's just so much evidence of how uh utterly dysfunctional and disgusting policing in America is how like unreformable and you know beyond the pale they have they have become Danny Westnut has a different take you may be interested in <laughs> <laughs> because while you're sitting here thinking like yeah well the the police union is like is basically the police it is what the police are it's how they really exercise power it's it's Foundation. It is the actual leadership of, and it is representative of the culture. And this guy is elected by the, the police, uh, in, in Seattle Police Department. You might be thinking these are all one thing. Like, let's return to, Danny Westnut, where he says some critics say the real pressure point isn't police, but police unions. The Atlantic magazine writer Adam Sewer argues that the most overlooked way to reform police culture and men public trust is to deunionize them it's what camden new jersey did when it famously dissolved its police force and started over to both reform and demilitarize it that's a really funny example to use because he's yeah. saying that's what camden new jersey did so successfully they deunionized their police department it, but but like they also liquidated the entire department yeah they, so yeah, like, yeah. one, yeah. one yeah. element <laughs> of that was like yeah they didn't they also got rid of like so that's a little ridiculous. Weird when you get rid of the police department, also the union. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It goes along with it. Well, yeah. It was basically yeah. like the step you have to take before liquidating the department, which is like, you know, well, yeah, that's like uh, the little minor step they took before the actual thing of getting rid of everybody. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe missing the point a little, Danny. I'm pro-union. Oh, thank well God. I was worried for a second oh. one. <laughs> as well of, as a member of one. Uh, so this gives me pause. Yeah, I'm sure like he was front and center in the organizing of the union at Seattle Times. When you have <laughs> armed agents of government using the safety of the public as a bargaining chip, well, my union stripes do start to fade a bit. <laughs> Seattle's police union needs to clean its own house. Well, they're not going to. Why would you even say that? Like someone yeah. needs to clean that house. Who? Like you got nothing to offer there? I don't know yeah. how you lived down saying a citizen you're supposed to be protecting had quote had limited value unquote you can't go into any sort of public position of trust after that uh the police who does he think the police are police union I, isn't guess, a, I don't get a public uh, this is a how they talk and of public so trust it's familiar a, with it yeah, yeah it's a position of public uh fucking 
like leverage. It's a it's a position of public power. It's it's an undemocratic one. There doesn't have to be trust. You know, mm-hmm. they don't Who want they don't, they don't want there to be trust. Yeah. Uh, Seattle might also think about restructuring the whole deal, uh, decertify the union or defang it, maybe for by further limiting it to negotiating just pay and benefits and not jobs job protections for bad officers. I mean, yeah, it should do that. But again, they're not going to clean their own house. Um, so uh, I'm all for disbanding the union, refusing to negotiate with them for a new contract. Uh, obviously, the union contract that, as he almost points out here, like has, uh, you know, these provisions in it that like make them basically above the law. Um, yeah, yeah, we should get rid of them. But uh, it's. <laughs> he's not wrong but it's still it is funny um that well, they're I, they want this is the new tactic it's a perfect tactic to go like ah the problem is mike solon and this other asshole otterer and really it's their power base the union really needs to get taken down a peg or two all to save the institution of policing and its legitimacy and it's you know public trust and uh you know and it's perfect because on actually like uh unions are a problem generally is really what West need thinks. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to change the conversation to something the Seattle times is more comfortable with, which is city unions in particular are bad and we should get mm-hmm. rid of them. Now, ultimately, you know, while the Seattle times bangs that drum, what they'll get rid of is like the public utilities union and stuff like that. Uh-huh. The police union won't go get touched. I mean, one of those are, you know, this gets pushed around a lot, particularly by libs quite frankly but the idea that the problem with policing is the union right and you just got to break the unions up and the thing is is that uh in america we broke up all the unions there's like no union that's impervious to being broken in this country right you know if the city government doesn't want to deal with the union they don't right and they you know they use every element at at their power right to break them right if the if a private you know, entity doesn't want to deal with a union. I mean, just look at what Starbucks is doing right now, breaking their union, you know, like this idea that, oh man, the problem with police is they have a union. And of course in America, a union is an impervious bastion of power. So powerful. <laughs> you, know, you know, the union is the only union that seems to be unbreakable. And it's like, maybe you should ask some questions about that. What's different about the police mm-hmm. union from literally every other labor organization in America, right? And maybe when you get the answer to that question, you can start to figure out why the problem isn't the fact that they're unionized. The problem is that they're fucking cops. Like, mm-hmm. that's the actual problem. And if you de-unionized them, they would still be cops <laughs> in the end, right? Same problem, same day, right? The reason why the union's tolerated is because they are cops, right? Because of the politics of what they believe and what they represent, right? You know, there is a political character to labor organizations and things like that. That's why many people on the left and labor organizations have said, expel all police unions. These are not real labor organizations and should not be treated as such and we should not pretend that they are as such, right? Um, But yeah, you know... Not not shocking that Wesley ends on saying the real problem is organized labor, actually. <laughs> when you think about it, you know. Yeah. Incredible yep, stuff. Well, it's pretty disgusting. Uh, like I said, I don't think um, Solon's going anywhere. I think the more likely scenario is they just uh, never renegotiate the, the contract. And like, it's just sort of, we, we stick in this stupid dynamic of like, oh, can you believe someone talked about defunding the police? Oh, we don't have enough cops. And like that just goes on forever. Yeah, the the uh, fake defund uh, debate or whatever that everything was defund and everything's bad. That's that's going to be the conversation from now to the end of time. Like every city in America is going to have an entire fleet of like 500 Ed 209s. And they're still going to be like, well, we were defunded. That's why we don't have 501 of them currently like marching yeah. through the city. Right. Uh, I do want to comment on just one quick thing uh, again over at Divest SPD. They pointed out that uh, they they had figured out through you know sort of some side conversation that the you know by city you know law or whatever uh, whenever somebody's put on paid administrative leave the that information is supposed to be filed with the city in regular mm-hmm. reports uh, during the year and so divest was like well that's interesting we should FOIA all those records for SPD because. Obviously, officers get put on administrative leave all the time. And uh, wouldn't you know it, 
no such records apparently exist because SPD just doesn't fucking file them, right? And right again, on. this is a small thing relative to murdering somebody, but I think it speaks to the culture of these institutions that SPD just doesn't feel it has to do anything, right? And yeah. and I think it speaks to that why Mike and Daniel are ultimately going to get out of this because I think unlike previous union heads, they figured out there's actually nothing the city can do to them. There's nothing the media can do to them. Like, so long as they don't, you know, step down themselves, there's literally no way to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean, like, they're elected. They're elected by the by the membership. So, yeah, like, these are the guys with their records and their attitudes that were elected. So, uh, there you go. I don't know what else, like, what else you need to know besides that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we'll uh, go ahead and wrap this one up here. I do want to just, again, give credit to Divest SPD and Erica Barnett for actually sticking with the story. And, yeah, for um, real. You know, if people want to go out and support media organizations, uh, both those groups need money to file all those FOIA requests. Uh, you know, Seattle Times has a big budget for that kind of stuff, but of course, that's not what it goes to. It goes to paying for uh, Danny Westneat's Batmobile that he's building. <laughs> so, you know, make sure to kick some money to those guys if you can. All right. All right. Right on. All right. On that note, Later, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.